appreciate this church very much. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. I know it was because of Jesse and Amanda's marriage that we were invited up and we were sent the plane tickets and, and then uh, Pastor Reno said we could stay in the missions house. Now listen, that missions house, you know, you talk about not eating cookies and stuff. I think I've gained 10 pounds in two days. I never saw so much temptation in my life. It's everywhere over there. Coffee makers and cookies and snacks. And, and then Ms. Autumn tells us where it's in the cupboard in case you run out. I said, run out? Man, I cannot believe it. It's such a joy, though, to realize that you honor the people of God, the servants of God in such a way. And uh, we've stayed in a few places that... Uh, I don't think the preacher had ever been inside the missions department, but I just, it's such a joy to see you honoring the service of the Lord and the servants of the Lord. And I know that God has and will bless you because of that. I thank you for the homilies. They've loaned us a vehicle. And my wife says, it's got a spoiler on the back. I said, yeah, Brother Tom is really a hot rod at heart. He just <laughs> doesn't tell people, but... That thing will get with it, though, and I, I forgot how the traffic was around here, and, and you can't be too courteous because if you wait, you're going to be waiting, and the guy behind you is going to get upset because you didn't jump in there in that little space that was there. But uh, it's just been a blessing to be here and see the improvements and continue to see the ministry and the faithful people that are still here. It's a joy to see people grow up and still serving the Lord and still honoring God and still loving the local New Testament church and loving their pastor and his wife and family. I'll tell you, we're losing preachers. They're dying off and uh, retiring and uh, regrouping and whatever, but uh, thank God for your pastor and, and uh, any way you can encourage him, do so because they're not a dime a dozen across the country anymore and there are more churches without pastors than I've ever seen in my life. And uh, churches are closing their doors. Probably many of them are dark tonight. Don't even have Sunday night services. They quit Wednesday night prayer meeting a long time ago, and now they've got Sunday night down, and preachers got a little one message a week, and, and the rest of the time I don't know what he does, but uh, I know this, that God says that we ought to even so much more as you see the day approaching, get together. We need each other. We need that fellowship. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 1, the book of Mark chapter 1, and uh, I just want to uh, say that I, I appreciate the ministry that has continued on faithfully here. As you turn to the scriptures, I want to just inform you, I want to speak tonight, and I, I want to mention my wife, because some of you do not know her, and uh, would you please stand, honey, please, Arlene? I know there's some new people here, and okay, that's the lady that's put up with me almost 64 years, if we make it to July the 31st, so she doesn't want to train another one, that's the reason, okay, in case you're wondering, okay. As I was thinking about this message, I began to contemplate a passage of scripture here that we look at that shows us a person who seemingly outwardly in every way is defeated. I titled this, The Diagram of Defeat. When you begin to think about defeat, being a loser, a failure, it sure has a 
ugly, undesirable sound to it. Did you ever lose at something? You practice and you did your best and you studied or you uh, got in shape and so forth and then you failed at it. I remember one time I came home and I had straight A's. I only did that one time. I think it was in kindergarten, but anyway. <laughs> that's the one I kept, you know, the rest I let go. But to win at something is wonderful, but there are times in our life when it seems like from all avenues we're, we're defeated and we're losing. The scripture that we're going to look at tonight is a picture of a man who is without the intervention of God in his life and he's going to lose. It seems like he is a born loser. Maybe not always, but it seems like as his life progressed, he got to the point where he was, as we would think, going to be defeated. We're going to look at the recording of one of Jesus' miracles. As I think about this, it is the immediate healing of the incurable, as it seemingly impossible, injurious, isolated disease of leprosy. It's a picture of a person who's overcome by sin. Can you imagine him as one day he was washing his hands and he began to realize that he was losing the feeling in his fingers? And he'd been noticing this for some time, but as he washed his hands, he noticed that the water began to color in red. And he realized that his hands were actually bleeding as leprosy had begun to attack his hands. Can you imagine as he begins to realize that the sensitive to his touch is no longer there? He has to be careful if he touches something hot or cold that it could cause him injury. He realizes that it's going to be a point of something that he would have to face. But as with someone who gets a disease today, such as cancer, the first reaction is denial. It's saying, I don't have it. I remember when they diagnosed me a number of years ago with uh, cancer. And uh, they, they said, you know, you've got it. And I my immediate reaction was, no way, I'm too young, I don't have it, I don't have a history of it and a family, and all these rationalizations begin to crowd into my mind. You know, the same thing's true with a person who's lost in sin. The first thing that a person hears when they hear somebody says something that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the very first reaction is a denial saying, well, you know, I don't really believe that it's possible that I'm a sinner. And so they desire to deny it and they try to shove it out of their mind and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want anybody to visit with them about it, the fact that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it's the truth. And so eventually this man has to accept the thought, I have leprosy. And he has to face reality of it. As I was thinking about this, and he would say, it can't be. And yet he begins to realize that he's been informed of it. And then he begins to realize the trauma that follows being instructed as to the restrictions of his dreaded disease. Let me give you some thoughts. If he enters the synagogue, he has to be the first to get there and the last to leave. He cannot sit with the other people. They built a little partition about five by six feet 
and he is ushered as he comes in first before anybody else arrives, and he gets into that little cubicle, and he remains there during the entire service. And when the service is over with, he waits until the last person exit, and then he can leave. Not only that restriction, but he realizes that if he is able to go into some place such as a house, he has to realize that everything that he touches or anything that he's around within six feet has perhaps become infected. It can be the furniture. It can even be the structure of the house. It can be anything that he is around within six feet. He realizes that if he's going to defile these things, can you imagine the picture of the heartache? Picture the fact that he has got to the point where he no longer is employed. He has to enter what we would call a beggar position. He cannot make his own income. His friendships are dropped. His relationships vanish and all contact with society is gone. He must move out of his own house. And he must join a banished colony of others who spend their lives in misery and poverty. But the worst should be the disconnection of family. I have never seen in the years that I've been involved in the ministry the disconnection in families. It is amazing to me how many are being raised by single parents. It is amazing to me how many people are coming home to find out the mate has gone, left a note, got a U-Haul, moved out. My relative come and I've gone. Don't follow me. It must be one of the greatest traumatic things for a person to have to say, I no longer can go to my own house. I no longer can have the family that I once knew. This man will never know again the warmth or will never know again the energized, joyful hug from his son or his daughter. He'll never know again the fact that he has a wife and a wife who perhaps would with all embracing and love and tenderness be able to kiss his lips. That tender embrace, he has now been called untouchable. Untouchable in the fact that from that day forth upon meeting him in person, by law, he must cry out and scream well in advance of their approaching him in certain distances, unclean, unclean, and he must cry out in loneliness. When I look at the scripture, I realize that there's several phases of scripture that we have to recognize. First of all, you have to concentrate on the scriptures. When you're reading your Bible and studying your Bible, it's good to just remove all distractions. It's good to get alone with the Word of God and let the Word of God be absorbed in your heart and your life. Just like when you study for an exam at school or college or whatever, you have to get to where you can concentrate. So it takes concentration. But the Bible has information. It has information that is good for us to know. But unless we study it, we'll never get to that place that we'll know what's going on. But we must also realize there is inspiration. This is just not an ordinary book. This is a living book. It's alive. If you don't believe it, take it into a den of iniquity. Take it on an airplane. Lay it open on the seat. And if there's, as we say, choice seating, that's the last seat that will be filled. You know why? Because this book is a living book. It's a living book when we give it out, when we quote it, when we say it to other people, you can see the effect and the effect upon it. 
I was visiting with a man the other day and I had the opportunity to witness to him and I said, I said, do you know Jesus? And he said, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I think I know him. Most people will respond that way. But what I found out, if you come back with the thought from the scriptures, you say you know Jesus, does Jesus know you? There is a difference. Isn't that what the Bible says? That there'd be some that would come to him and say, well, Lord, I've done this, I've done that, and so forth. They've been prophesied in the name, I've cast out demons, and so forth. And Jesus says, I will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. So it's important for you to not only know Jesus, but for Jesus to know you. One of the most things that's just very challenging to people as you get older, and maybe one of the mate will get dementia where they don't recognize their mate, and it's so sorrowful because the person will look at them and say, who are you? Well, I'm your husband. I'm your wife. I've been together with you. We've had 50-some years together. I don't know who you are. Jesus knows those that are his. He calls them by name, and they call him by name. What a blessing it is for that relationship. But also, not only does the Bible have information and inspiration, but it also has illustrations. That's what we're looking at tonight. It's one thing to learn about someone who the Bible says, and this man is not only has leprosy, he's full of leprosy. That means he's covered with it. That means he has no way that he can get out of this situation. It's not just his arm that they could cut off and get rid of it. It's through his whole body. He is saturated with it. But you see, the Bible also gives us what we need tonight in our responsibility is explanation. Explanation. That's what the Scripture says, that the man of God is supposed to explain the Word of God. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch as he went on his way and he was reading the Scriptures and, and uh, of course, uh, uh, the apostle came to him and said, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? You see, Christian is not only our responsibility to witness, but sometimes we have to take the Bible and share it with people and explain it to them and share with them what we know. And that knowledge is shared with someone else. It is actually something that God can use because it's like a seed planted and it can grow and bring forth a harvest. But oh, thank God and praise God. We not only have information and explanation and, and inspiration in the scriptures, we have transformation. I'm so glad the Bible transforms people. Now, if you're saved here tonight, I want you to think about when you got saved. And I want you to think about where you would be tonight, and this is a scary thought, if God hadn't intervened and transformed your life by the living Word of God. Transformation is something that takes place in people's lives, and I think it's illustrated by this man's life. Now, let's look at verse number 40 of Mark chapter 1. It says, there came a leper to him, beseeching, that means he's calling out loud to him, and kneeling down to him and saying to him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony. This is not just a good story of a physical recovery that a man makes, 
but it pictures a person who's been contaminated, a person who is cornered by this leprosy. He's captured, as Satan captures a person in sin, he also is controlled by this leprosy. His whole life is actually evolves around the fact that he has this disease. And it is an amazing the picture of sin today, how that sin comes in in small ways, and then eventually it involves itself in every phase of a person's life. And pretty soon they can't hold a job because of sin. Pretty soon their home is broken up because of sin. Pretty soon their body is broken down because of sin. And pretty soon they even go out into eternity prematurely because of sin. And this man illustrates this which was taking place in his life. First of all, I want you to know his reaching. The Bible says that there came a leper to him beseeching, calling out to him. He says a man that is drowning. He says a person that has come to the end of his rope. Oh, listen, when you come to know Christ, you can recall that moment that you realized you needed to call out for help. You'd tried everything. You'd done this, you'd done that. You'd turned over a new leaf, and the leaf kept turning back over, and you just kept on your way and kept on your way. And then finally one day, as this man, you heard about Jesus and you cried out to him, oh, what a blessing it is that we can turn people to Christ, that they can look and know in the deep conviction that they have in their sinful situation that he will never turn anyone away. I don't care what you've done in your life. God will forgive you if you trust in him for your personal salvation. He is the one that is the author of forgiveness. Thank God for that. But he reached out to the Lord. He reached out in such a way that the Lord knew his heart was sincere. The second thing I noticed is his reverence, his respect that he has. I found out that when people do not respect the Bible and they do not respect the Word of God, I find out you can hardly be a witness to them because they've closed the door of respect and reverence. You know, I think church is a special place. I think there's a reverence in the house of God. I think there's a situation that we have seen today where churches have kind of made it so casual that we're producing casualties. And the cause is because maybe we've lost the reverence for the things that are holy, separated unto the Lord. And I don't think it hurts us to get to the point where we say, the house of God is a special place. And we have some limitations and activities and so forth because we respect it. But notice what it says here, that he came and he knelt down before him. Can you imagine this scene? This man wrapped in bloody, soiled rags, and he comes to Jesus, and he doesn't stand and face him. He just falls on his face in front of the Lord. I know some people get embarrassed and they say, you ask people to come to an old-fashioned altar and kneel and ask the Lord to save their souls. Walking down an aisle doesn't save you. Kneeling at an altar doesn't save you. But I'll tell you what it does do. It humbles you. It gets you to the point where you realize, I need God and the only way I know to approach Him is to humbly put myself in the position that I respect and reverence him, and I'm willing to cry unto him as a desperate person and ask him for help and for salvation. This man says, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Oh, yes. I know the Bible says, and people bear out this day, Oh, you Baptist, 
You're always talking about the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. You got that slaughterhouse religion. Every time we turn around, you're talking about Jesus dying on the cross. Amen. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God unto salvation. I see that there is a transformation when people respect God and respect the Bible. I have found out, and I remember pastoring our first church in Junction City, Kansas, and Fort Riley was there in the middle of about the first year of our ministry. The Vietnam War broke out, and my, those young men went to uh, Vietnam, and I preached some of those funerals as they came back in those half-glass caskets. That'll do something for you. To realize that the very heart of our country, the very cream of the crop was dying in a foreign soil. Many of them without Christ. But a lot of those young men would come and they would visit our church and I knew why they were there. They were headed for Vietnam. The possibility of dying. They had to face the possibility of death. So they said, I'll go to church. I'll find out. I'll, I'll try to find out something, what's on beyond this life. I've seen them come to the altar and I'd visit with them after their salvation experience and I'd say, do you have a Christian mother? Do you have a Christian dad? Yeah. Yeah, and I've been running from God for a long time, but they're back home praying for me. I said, well, it's going to be a joy for you to write home and say, Mom, Dad, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. Amen. I'm going over to Vietnam, but I'm ready. If the God calls me home, I'm ready to go to heaven. Oh, listen. I think about that, the reverence that they had. Number three, I want you to notice the response. The Bible says as he has approached Jesus, Jesus moved with compassion and put forth his hand and touched him and spoke. Can you imagine the unbelievable situation here? This wasn't a process. This was an immediate thing that happened. Due to his condition without hope of ever knowing the communication the compassionate words, the touch of another individual in his life, he flounders in a desperate, miserable situation. His existence is almost inhuman. No human had laid a hand on him since he'd gotten this disease. No hand had patted him on the shoulder and said, it'll be all right, it'll get better in the future. No one ever took him by the arm if he staggered in the weakness of this disease and helped him across the busy intersection. There was no touch from his children. There was no touch from his wife. He's completely separated. That's what sin does. I remember as a young boy, my mother and dad were not Christians. I remember one time that my dad got under conviction he told my mother he wanted to go to church. He'd been overseas and he'd thought about dying and he knew guys that didn't come back. My mother said, we don't need to go to church. We're not church people. The Bible's something you put in the marriages and the deaths and press the flowers from the funerals and so forth in on the coffee table, that's it. That's the only place the Bible had in our home. But oh, listen, I tell you, came to that point where it looked like there was going to be a separation. My mother and father were not getting along. There was going to be a broken home. 
I look back now and I realize how the grace of God intervened or I would have known what it was to be raised with a single parent. I would have known what it was, the traumatic thing of seeing the mate walk out and saying, I'll see if I can get visiting rights once a week. I would have known what that was, but the grace of God intervened. And sin was separating, and sin was tearing the family apart. And, and, and though there was good times of pleasure on the weekends, it was always the same story every weekend. But when Christ came in, and Christ changed the things in our life, and sin was set in a place, and we find that the disease of sin was overcome because of the grace of God. The response of Jesus is always the same. The Bible says he moved with compassion. He was willing to lift his hand and reach down and touch this man that was untouchable. Isn't that what God did for you, Christian? Didn't he reach down and grab a hold of you when you knew that you weren't worthy of his touch? And yet he reached down his hand for you and he saved your soul. The Bible says he touched him. That must have been something to that man. Here he was shackled by a heavy burden. And he was in such a situation, nobody wanted to be next to him. No one, even in a building, he had to stay six feet away from everything. And yet here is one that was willing to touch him. Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He's never failed to answer that question, will you help me? Will you save me? He's never responded negative to that person that's cried out to him. And then I think about the relief. What a relief it must have been. Not going through a week's process of nine weeks, but instantaneously, immediately, he is healed. What a blessing for us to think about that tonight. How long did it take you to get saved? How long did it take you to get born into this world? One moment you weren't here, and the next moment you were. Instantaneously, that's what the new birth is. It comes about just as fast as a person is born into this world. One moment you're not here, and the next moment you're in this world. What a blessing it is to know that the Bible says you can be born again instantaneously. Let's think about this relief. It was more than just a renewal. It was more than just an overhaul. It was more than just a rebuild. It was more than just more bandages and more medicine and more doctor's appointments. No, it was more than recuperation. It was brand new. I believe he had skin and flesh like he had when he first came into this world. Maybe just like a baby's, I don't know. But I know it was something that he realized it was real. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. He's a new creation. Behold, take a look, exhibit, demonstrate. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I can imagine the change in this man's life as he realized because of Jesus. Instead of the diagram of defeat, we find that he knows the diagram of deliverance as we who have been saved realize that. But here's one I don't get to the heart of this whole message. As this kind of leaped off the page to me as I began to read about it, and you realize, I realize as you read the rest of this passage, Jesus tells him 
Now, don't say anything. That's what he says in verse 44. And he says, just be quiet about it. Can you imagine telling him to be quiet about this? <laughs> you know, if we could just keep that same fervor we had when we first got saved. You remember when you first got saved? You didn't care who it was. You didn't think about what they'd think about you. You didn't think about what the boss would say if you carried your Bible to work and laid it on the desk. You didn't care about if you took your Bible to school and put it on top of your books for the kids to know you were a Christian. You didn't even think about that. Why? You were so in love with the Lord and you just realized it's the best thing that ever happened to you. And here this man who is full of leprosy has now been completely cured and he's told to be quiet about it. Can you imagine? It's kind of like when something funny happens and it's like I remember one time a guy was preaching in chapel in college and he had false teeth. Now, don't get ahead of my store. But he's one of these guys that shouts, you know, and he would lean over the pulpit and he'd point his finger and he would go like that. And you know, when he did that, he made an exclamation and his teeth came out and he caught him right here. <laughs> he slapped him back in and went right on preaching. We were out there, <laughs> let us laugh, we're about to die out here. Can you imagine this man has gotten saved and he's been cleansed and his, his flesh is now whole and he can touch anybody and he can go home to mother and the kids and, and, and he's supposed to be quiet about it? I think we need to sometimes go back and remember the pit from which we've been digged. You know how to do that? Go out on visitation, knock some doors. You'll knock on a door and the door will open and you'll look at the circumstances of that family and that home and you'll see those kids and you, you'll realize that but for the grace of God, there I would be one of those kids. Jimmy Zeke went home to be with the Lord. Jimmy Zeke as a bus kid was in our church in Topeka, Kansas. His mother and father were Lost. We got the kids to come. Then we got mom and dad to come. Mom and dad got saved. The kids got saved. Jimmy got saved. Jimmy's in heaven tonight. Not because I was a great preacher, no. Because there was somebody that drove a bus. And there was somebody that knocked on his parents' door. And there was somebody that said, would you come to church? Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I share the gospel with you? And somebody that cared enough that they took their Saturdays and they spent it serving the Lord and serving lost souls. And Jimmy's in heaven tonight because of somebody cared. And Jesus cared for this man and he brought relief to him. There's relief in the gospel. But here's the thing I want you to see. Look at verse number 45. The Bible says that he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. Because of this man's testimony, the crowds were too large to have in the city. They couldn't get them inside the walls. 
And so Jesus had to stay outside the city, out, out, of, out, out of town, out, out in the suburban area where the crowds could gather to hear him because of this man's testimony. Tell me the power of one person and you see an example of this. But I want you to notice, did you notice the Bible says, and it's kind of a, a word, I, I believe it's the only place in the scriptures it's found, and it says, and he began to blaze it abroad. And I thought, blaze it abroad, what does that mean? Well, you see, I want to ask you a question, it's, and it's kind of a catchy question. When was the man healed? Was the man healed when Jesus touched him? If you reread the text, you'll find that he was healed when Jesus spoke the word. That's why I say the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the book. This is the word that's alive. And when Jesus spoke, the Bible says, and then he was cleansed. I want you to think about the word of God. I want you to think about God's word having power. The Bible says that he touched him and saith unto him. When God speaks, mountains tremble. When God speaks, stars take their respective places in the heavens. Planets find their orbits. When God speaks, demons ask permission to relocate. When God speaks, soldiers fall down. When God speaks, lions get lockjaw. When God speaks, solid walls fall flat. When God speaks, furnace flames lose their terror. When God speaks, enemies are defeated. When God speaks, waters stand as walls. When God speaks, Satan checks in and gives an account of where he's been and what he's been doing. When God speaks, clouds take their assigned positions. When God speaks, stormy waves lay down peacefully. When God speaks, slaves are set free with bounty. When God speaks, needs are met. When God speaks, limitless power is demonstrated. When God speaks, sheep are at peace. When God speaks, animals respond to an invitation into an ark of safety. When God speaks, sinners are made into saints. And when God speaks, saints are transformed into successful servants. But one day God's not only going to speak, He's going to shout, and every believer is going to exit off of this Amen. earth to heaven. Amen. Are you waiting for the shout? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Twas a life filled with aimless desperation, a life without hope, and then the touch of Jesus came and rescued him. Remember the night you got saved? How long has it been since you said, thank you, Lord? How long has it been since you looked at that homeless person on the street and you tried to figure out examples of why they're there and so forth, but, but for the grace of God, you could be them and they could be you. His grace is sufficient. His grace is able to rescue. His grace is able to give relief, but it is a grace that is invited into your life. I don't know who's here tonight. You may be a person that Satan has spoken to you and said, 
God can't forgive you. You've been too bad. You've done too much. There's no way you'll ever have peace in your heart. Oh, it may be something no one else knows but you. But I want you to know something. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for his grace and his forgiveness. This man was turned around by Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it was like when he went home? (laughs) Can you imagine when the kids saw him coming? You see, he probably got rid of the rags. He probably got rid of all that he wrapped around his body and all those soil materials and he got some clothes and he came down the street and the kids in the street knew who he was and said, oh, there's so-and-so, but there's something different about him. He's been with Jesus. Jesus has changed his life. He's turned him around. Can you imagine the kids seeing him coming and maybe knowing his walk and knowing that it was perhaps him Ran in the house, said, Mama, Mama, Dad is coming home. Mama, Mama, Dad is coming home. And she began to think, where do I hide the kids? Where do I put the kids? What do I put up? He can't come in the house. I need to bolt the door. I need to lock the lock. I need to call somebody. I need to holler to somebody. We need help. And yet when she sees him come through the gate, he's a different man. He's been born, as it were, again. His life is now hooked up with Jesus Christ. I'm sure that he was able to blaze it. But here's my thought. You know, in the Western days, if they came to a forest, they would have a difficult time finding their way through a forest. I don't know if you've ever been in the mountains. I've been lost in the mountains. I was elk hunting one time in Colorado. There is nothing more terrifying than to be lost. I mean, knowing that you could just be spending the night out there in, in a situation. But you know what they used to do. They used to go along and the person that was leading the way and would know the way, and he would what? Blaze a trail, would he not? He would take a hatchet and he would chip on a tree. And he'd go a little ways just as far as they could see and then he'd chip another tree. And then he'd go a little further and he'd chip another tree so that all those coming behind him would find their way successfully through the maze of the floors and get to their safe destination. I want to tell you something. Sometimes I ask people if they know the Lord as their Savior, if they're a Christian. By the way, can I just say this? This is a personal thing with me. I like for people to say I'm a Christian. I, I, I know you could say I'm a believer, but that's kind of a generic term anymore. The Bible says they were first called what? Christians. Let's say we're Christians. I'm a Christ follower. I'm not just a believer. I'm not just, just I, I believe and I am a believer, but I want to be known as a Christian. But anyway, as they would follow that one through there, they would get safely through there. I asked a person, do you know Christ as your Savior? Oh, well, let me, let me show you my baptismal certificate. You know, my question is, where's the truth? Well, this is the Ten Commandments that I keep, and and here's my golden rule. I've got it on my wall here, and I keep it. Where's the tree? Well, you don't realize that I'm I'm, I'm a pretty good fella, and, and I'm not near as bad as the guy down the street. He beats his wife twice a week. Where's the tree? Well, you see, I, I went through, uh, when I was little, uh, uh, well, I was just a baby, and then they put some water on my forehead and sprinkled me, and they gave me the certificate, where's the tree? 
if you're going to blaze a trail to heaven, I want a tree. And that tree that Jesus did, he left a mark on it. In fact, he left marks and his hands went through those nails. He left the marks of his blood on that cross staining it. That's the tree I want to know about. That's the tree that will get me through this life. That's the tree that will take me to heaven. That's the tree that's narrow and it's single file. So you can look for the tree. Where's the tree in your life? The old rugged cross made the difference. We sing about it. Why? Because that's the tree. He blazed the trail ahead of us. I don't have to worry about it because I'm trusting him that has put the mark on his tree. And he did it with his own blood. Boy, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. But when you come to that tree and Calvary becomes your personal relationship, connection with Jesus Christ, you know you're on your way to heaven. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.